Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to the Mark Fraley Podcast. Today is Friday, March 1st, 2024. A chilly and drizzly day here in Nashville. Thankful for the rain as it is encouraging our spring garden. As always, a thank you to my buddy Ron Trammell for our original music and a shout out to Megan Hall of the Cumberland River Compact for her assistance in arranging today's interview. Today's program is a spotlight on the Cumberland River Compact organization and its executive director, Mikhail Houghton. We will be talking about that organization's multifaceted efforts to improve water quality in the Cumberland River watershed. Mikhail and I discuss the causes of water pollution and their organization's work with municipal governments, farmers, landowners, developers, and stakeholders, all aimed at keeping the Cumberland River and its tributaries clean and ecologically sound. And this discussion of water quality is apropos and especially timely considering recent activities at the Tennessee General Assembly. As reported in the Tennessee Lookout by Adam Friedman and Anita Watamwani, there is a major legislative effort being led by home builders to weaken or remove state-level construction restrictions for Tennessee wetland areas. I encourage my listeners to read about this and become informed in the Tennessee Lookout. Please contact your legislators as appropriate. I hope you'll enjoy this conversation with Mikhail Houghton, and we will get started right after this brief message. Hi, this is Heather Lose, Editor-in-Chief of the Tennessee Conservationist Magazine. Every year, we publish six beautiful issues packed full of timely and informative stories about Tennessee culture, people, and places. You can stay informed about your world and all the great things happening in your Tennessee state parks. It's easy to subscribe. Just go to our website at tnconservationist.org. Thank you. Mikhail Houghton, welcome to the Mark Fraley Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, it's a joy to have you here, and it's nice to finally meet you in person. Nice to meet you as well. Well, Mikhail, I wanted to talk about uh, all things involved with the Cumberland River Compact. Um, and I know it's an organization that's involved with water quality here in Middle Tennessee and the Cumberland River Basin. But as we get started, uh, my listeners are, are accustomed to hearing about the background of the individual that I'm speaking to. People come into this world of conservation and environment and from all different directions. Tell us about your story. How did you get interested in and outdoors and, and conservation work. Sure, thank you, thank you for asking. Um, I grew up in Sarasota, Florida, so um, I had all the bones of a good environmentalist. We composted and um, recycled, and w- when you're in Florida, water is always top of mind, so uh, drinking water availability, Everybody has um, septic tanks when I was growing up, and so you couldn't really, you had to time your usage of uh, indoor plumbing with uh, rains. So when it rained, you know, my mom would say, don't flush the toilet, Um, because the septic tank was uh, full of water, storm water. Oh, it would overload the tank. uh, Yeah, yeah. So um, water was always top of mind. And then I went to... um, college and graduate school and studied social movements. And so I became really interested in how people come together uh, for, a, for a common cause and worked in nonprofit. And then I had four boys and they took sort of the bones of an environmentalist and the, the, the intellectual framework of social movement. And they added uh, the joy of the outdoors. So the joy of finding frog eggs or the joy of stomping in a puddle or exploring a creek. And then you know, I was lucky enough to start working at the Cumberland River Compact in 2005. And um, so since that time, um, it's just been bringing those three strands together in a way that um, has been very fulfilling for me personally and professionally. Fantastic. Great, great story. 
Tell us about the Cumberland River Compact. When did that get started? It was started in 1997. Um, a man named Vic Scoggin swam the length of the Cumberland River, yeah. and um, he drew media along the way. And when he swam through the Nashville segment, Bill Forrester um, saw him uh, at the riverfront, and then Bill Forrester pulled a bunch of friends together at the Sigenthaler First Amendment Center. And among those people were Shirley Caldwell Patterson and um, Elizabeth Queener, Bill Coble, um, and they formed the Cumberland River Compact. Burdell Campbell, um, and they formed the Cumberland River Compact. And the the that's the usual suspects. I know, I know, (laughs) I know. They're the old guard. They're really impactful citizens. And one of their founding principles was. Um, you know, finding common ground with the, with the businesses um, and nonprofits, and so you know, in our in our language, it's non-adversarial. So we don't bring lawsuits. We work with companies. Um, we we're very much um, trying to change hearts and minds and um, and voting patterns. Right. Well, there certainly are other groups that will bring the lawsuits when necessary. Certainly. Yeah, but, and they yeah. are there, you know, we consider every uh, organization essential on that spectrum mm-hmm. and our comfort places in that non-confrontational. Sure. So the Cumberland River Basin, you consider that your sort of catchment area or, or uh, area of, of uh, domain. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell our audience, uh, some may, may be listening from outside of Middle Tennessee, uh, the extent of that. Well, it uh, supports three million people with the water from the basin and uh, thousands of species. It's one of the most biodiverse freshwater regions um, uh, in in the world, and it starts in Harlan, Kentucky. Uh, I like to say where Justified is set, but um, I don't know if that's a popular TV show or not. So it flows uh, uh, one third in Kentucky into Tennessee, and then empties into the Ohio River uh, in Paducah. Paducah, Kentucky, mm-hmm. right? Right. And, and you've got cities like. Um, Nashville, Clarksville, Cookville, all right on the Cumberland. And then all of the surrounding cities um, like Franklin, Murfreesboro, dependent on uh, water from the tributaries to the Cumberland. For their drinking water. Yeah. Exactly. And so the focus of your organization is on water quality. And certainly that's a topic that's in the news quite a bit these days. Uh, with the, and we may, we may talk about plastics in the water and that sort of thing. But as you go down the list of things that affect water quality in the Cumberland River, what's to, what's top of the list? What's next? Uh, what what are the are the main issues? The main concerns? Well, the water quality is determined by land use um, predominantly. So in the agricultural regions of the basin. Um, it's how farmers uh, use the land or how coal mine companies use the land. And then in cities, it's how we build our cities. So um, you can see it's it's a people-centric organization. So when we're working on water quality, we're trying to talk with people uh, and provide them with the tools to improve behavior and thereby improve water quality. So um, we have you know, great working lands program, which is what our um, agricultural and coal mining work falls under, working with private landowners who have a huge impact on the land. Right, let's, let's hold on to just a second. Let's, let's go back and, and retrace our steps a second. Uh, when I first came into Nashville to work for our Department of Conservation, as it was called back in those days, I learned something about water quality that I didn't know as, as a, a kid growing up in Cincinnati. Is it, at that time, at least, the, the number one pollutant of water was ag runoff in two forms, soil running into the water and agricultural chemicals. Is that still what's going on when you speak about agriculture? 
Yes, that's right. Tell us in more detail. So the number one pollutant uh, in the Cumberland River and its tributaries is sediment, which is soil. Um, and that is determined by how we use the land. So if we, um, if we don't use cover crops, if we t plow up the soil and it rains, all of that um, soil is washed by the rain into the streams. And it's a pollutant because once that soil settles, it settles into the, into the rocks of the, the stream bed and it fills in the holes that the macroinvertebrates need to thrive. So, so then you interrupt the food web. So if you don't have a place for macroinvertebrates to grow, then you don't have a place for the birds and the fish to find their food. Things like so, crawdads and yes, things. that's right. Right. That's right. right. So the whole system is disrupted with sediment. Additionally, uh, the stream, the sediment comes from stream bank erosion. Uh, which indicates an un, unstable channel and, you know, not a stream buffer with trees holding the stream bank in place. So that's the sediment. And then when you say agricultural runoff, um, we, the way that we call that is nutrients. So the nutrients take the oxygen out of the water and so then prevent the fish from accessing oxygen in the water, cause algal blooms, um, contribute to the hypoxia zone in the Gulf of Mexico. Um, so that's that's the other main um, pollutant in right, the water. Right. And I think, I guess when people think about water pollution, they think about municipal wastewater as well. What's going on in, in Middle Tennessee as far as municipal wastewater is concerned? Um, the nutrients and sediment uh, pollution is coming from both agricultural and urban sources. So municipal wastewater um, can have higher nutrient loads. The, the, it's highly regulated and so and it's also self-disclosed so cities are required to do the testing and report to the, the state their uh, excess effluent or t test results um, so we as an organization um, have a lot of trust in that self-reporting and believe that uh, that that the cities and the states uh, and the state government are working hard to deliver the best water quality to Tennesseans. It's not an unregulated realm. Mm -hmm. um, I think if folks want to advocate, they can advocate for more things to be tested. So for PFAS to be tested for, you know, things that may not be required to be tested. To as far as drinking water is concerned. As far as drinking water right, and, right. you know, and wastewater, they also have a parameter of things that they're testing for. And if folks are concerned that certain aspects aren't being tested in the wastewater, then, then we can get, you know, we can start to ask the state to test for those things. Right. seems like I recall that your organization at one point was involved with Metro as part of the, um, uh, I guess it's consent decree. That's right. Um, do my do I describe this properly? That Metro was sued by the, the federal government at one point for noncompliance with uh, EPA regulations about sewage discharge. Right. So, so the the city of Nashville has combined sewer overflows. Uh, like a lot of old cities in the olden days, sewer pipes used to run through the open air and people got sick right, from those. Right. those. Those open sewage canals were encapsulated and uh, the city was built over it and then the discharge went straight into the river. Um, so, you know, Indianapolis, really all cities were built this way. Then uh, Cincinnati they, as well, yeah. Cincinnati. Yeah, then yeah. The, that water was routed to the sewage treatment plant, but the pipe was too small um, as the cities grew uh, to take both the stormwater and the sewage. And so during storms, 
that um, combination of stormwater and sewage that can't make it, you know, that can't make it to the treatment plant gets discharged into the river. So that's called a combined sewer overflow. And uh, the EPA, you know, rightfully says that that's illegal right. in, the, uh, uh, in regard to the Clean Water Act. So um, the uh, city entered an agreement with the Department of Justice and the EPA to correct uh, for a corrective action plan to correct those overflows. And that started in 2009, I believe. And at that time, um, there was a green infrastructure, trees and rain gardens component that, um, that, the, that they asked us to complete. So we completed that within five years. And since 2009, have each five years renewed that relationship with with Metro Nashville in a non-compliant, it's not required for compliance. It's a voluntary uh, program by the, the Metro Water Department. Well, I know that Metro, uh, with federal grants and, and, and other monies, has, has made some major efforts to remediate that situation where they had still had combined uh, sewer lines. What's the status of that today? Do you, I mean, can you say uh, how far along are they in terms of, of getting that, that, that problem really corrected? I, they've made a lot of progress. Um, there are the big equalization tanks around uh, town that, that are part of that um, remediation program. And so um, those tanks basically in, in, during rain events, they hold sewage until the pipes empty out and then they can put the sewage back in the pipes and go get it cleaned. There are still sections of the Cumberland River that are not in compliance. Um, the river flows through Nashville for 55 miles. 50 of those miles meet EPA's regulations. They're fishable, swimmable. Five miles are still considered impaired. And that's, you know, that's due largely to um, combined sewer overflows in excess of the required amount. Right. So that's something that they're uh, that they're just doing a piece at a time. It's a very expensive process to do. It is. Yeah. 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 I can remember. I guess it's ten or fifteen years ago that uh, Church Street downtown was completely torn up. Oh. Uh, do you recall that where they oh. re where they redid the the, the, the sewer yeah, pipes there yeah. to isolate the stormwater from the wastewater. Um, so some, you know, Nashville's, Nashvilleians need to be aware that this is going on um, and uh, let their councilmen know that they support mm -hmm. these kind of efforts. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, right. yeah. I think the council um, is a great place to go with requests for clean water, green infrastructure. Um, the, the Second Avenue bombing actually provided... Um, an opportunity to separate the stormwater from the sewage that I that I don't think we would have had otherwise without that bombing. Tell, tell us more. Um, for those that don't remember, it's been what two or three years ago, right at Christmas time. Is our in my record? Yeah, yeah Christmas that, Day. Uh, there was a bombing at Second Avenue and Church Street. I guess mm -hmm. essentially was the mm -hmm. primary target, which would the location of. Bell Telephone's main switching facility mm -hmm. for the area was the intended target, we assume. I guess the perpetrator died in the in the accident, so we don't actually know. Yeah. Um, but I didn't realize that there was a water and sewer component to uh, fixing that problem. Yeah, I think when when the whole block was shut down, that they just took that opportunity to separate uh, the the infrastructure there at that time. So interesting. Um, you know, another story related to this um, combined sewer system issue was the uh, the establishment of the Cockrell Springs uh, area there at, at Centennial Park. Yeah. You know, yeah. you're yeah. smiling and shaking your head. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and the story, um, I guess they were doing some studies to try to to try to identify places where there was still, uh, uh, stormwater, so to speak, uh, coming into the septic sewer along West End Avenue. 
And there were several thousand gallons a minute that they couldn't figure out what it was coming from. And it was a spring. It's beautiful. Yeah, that someone had plumbed. a little fountain. Yes. It's really nice. If if, if people from outside of Tennessee come and visit uh, Centennial Park, beautiful place to visit, there's a spring uh, right near uh, West End Avenue, the the intersection of Natchez Trace and West End. Uh, That's a historic spring, actually, because it was one of the reasons why the Natchez Trace, the, the... Historic Natchez Trace started there uh, because of, the, of that spring. So, yeah, and it had been underground for 100 years or so. Yeah. So, all right. So we were talking about the various issues of water quality in Middle Tennessee. And we've talked about a little bit about ag runoff and what's going on there and about municipal water. What other issues do we have that relate to water, water quality in the Cumberland well, I think uh, in urban areas, it's development. Um, it's how we're developing the city, um, and it's the um, it's how we're developing the city and the choices that that we make as we um, work in our neighborhoods, our communities, and our yards. So we're we're encouraging folks to participate in things like no mow month. Um, in April, we're, we have no mow month. Uh, we have conservation landscaping, much like Richard Hitt was talking about on your podcast in November, um, and where we you know, encourage people to replace turf grass, which doesn't absorb as much rainwater and build kind of spongy gardens with native, deep-rooted native plants, um, build rain gardens, and, and we like to offer uh, folks the tools to do that. We, we operate the Root Nashville campaign that ha- has planted nearly 40,000 trees in Nashville uh, and is aiming to plant 500,000. So folks who live in Nashville can, can um, sign up for free trees through Root Nashville. And all of this will capture the rain close to where it falls, sink it into the ground so that it, so that it can slowly seep toward the nearest stream and replenish base flow in the summertime. We don't want these sort of uh, washes of water during storms and then our creeks to run dry because the species that live in the creeks can't survive those kinds of um, extremes. So we need to sort of get the water to them in the hottest summer months by sinking it into the ground and replenishing that that groundwater. You know, when I first started making efforts to uh, get you to come and interview, um, I had just seen some promotion about your DPAVE program, and I was curious about that and interested in talking about it. So tell us about what that, what's that program and what's going on there? I love the DPAVE program. So, uh, DPAVE basically peels up the asphalt and replaces it with gardens and trees. And and what you find when you look around really any city or town is that it's very cheap to pave vast expanses of areas. And uh, then you get this enormous parking lot and it's not not used to the capacity that you think it might be used. And so we offer a solution to that, and that's our DPAVE program. So uh, we've had the most luck working with churches who realize they don't need the big parking lot and that actually a playground or some trees or some gardens would be nicer and um, more responsible than than just a big hot slab of asphalt. So um, yeah, we're working with um, working with folks to to depave it's a program out of portland oregon that we uh, brought to nashville and so the slogan is in portland is free the soil well how how is that paid for is this is this paid for uh, by the people that are involved or or and tell us about how that all works we have grant funding to do a certain number of square feet per year um, and so we we use that funding. We we cost share when we can, and we um, have just over the last couple of years grown in house a field a field team of uh, landscape 
workers who will help us, that helps us bring down the cost by having this staff in-house. Um, so we're really proud. They're watering trees in the summer. They, uh, this last summer they watered 3,500 trees a year. Um, and we were uh, a week, 3,500 trees a week. And so we were sort of at a standstill in Nashville with planting trees because everybody can plant a tree, but it's really hard to water a tree. So our organization developed the expertise, uh, the equipment, the staffing needed to get Nashville over that kind of hump so that we could start planting trees again. And so once we solved that piece of the puzzle with our, our field team, then we're really able to start to build a greener city. And we think the same thing will happen with green streets in Nashville. Uh, maintenance is, is just a, a, a big problem. So we've got the green street maintenance from our field team, depave, um, um, the Route Nashville. We had we had Meg Morgan on this program here a year or so ago talking nice. about that program. So tell us how that how is that going and and uh, and, and what's involved with that. And now right now this spring is is a key time, isn't it? Yes, it's yeah. great. It's uh, it's going great, and we're always looking for neighborhood uh, tree captains. And this March. Um, we'll be planting um, uh, over a thousand trees in Nashville. And the signups can uh, people can find the signup page on our website uh, to help us plant trees. And all the trees we plant are one inch uh, in um, circumference. So the benefits of trees are pretty immediate. Uh, we've got about a 90% survival rate. So when folks invest their time and money into that program, they, they can be fairly 90% certain that they're going to see the benefits of those trees. Um, Very good. I noticed on your website that, that you all were involved in some stream uh, renovations. Um, there was one in the Stevens Valley area, mm -hmm. uh, in Williamson-Davidson County line. Uh, tell us about that project and and um, and other projects along those along that line. The Stevens Valley Stream Restoration Project is um, the biggest urban suburban restoration project we can find, um, and uh, we're really proud of it. It connects into the Natchez Trace, so anytime you can get connectivity into um, already conserved area. Um, you know, your chances of success and creating like big landscape um, restoration are improved. And the developers uh, reached out to us with an interest in restoring Trace Creek. It's a challenge because it's it, through the middle of a um, uh, uh, so suburb neighborhood under construction. So we're in there with the people who are building the houses, but the restoration is currently underway. We think it'll be complete in the um, next fall. And then, you know, it'll over time, it will get better as the trees grow. So we're planting a lot of new trees on um, in this site and taking what was a, a straight stream uh, because the farmer had pushed it to the edge of his field so that he could farm more easily. And we're returning a natural meander to that stream and then a wide stream buffer. So most streams should have a 25 to 50 foot buffer, vegetated buffer on either side. That's going to reduce erosion and keep the water cool, protect the stream. And um, that's the stream in Stevens Valley didn't have it, but we're returning a native buffer to the stream. So it's exciting. How many feet or miles of, of a stream are we talking about? 15,000 feet of stream. Okay. Um, and so uh, like three miles or so. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. What a challenge. Yes. And, and have you all taken ownership of some of some of that land as you go through you're shaking your head yes are, tell us about that uh, we are holding conservation easements okay. so these conservation easements restrict the the way that that stream and the buffer is used so yes we're holding conservation easements on stevens valley we did a dam removal at the sam davis memorial home in Smyrna, oh, yeah. uh, wow. and, and that's in the Stones River watershed. So we did a dam removal there, 
and we're holding those conservation easements. Um, on our big stream restoration projects, we're protecting them now by holding those conservation easements. So it's it, for us, it's new um, and a very exciting approach to um, water and environmental conservation. Well, that way, the work that you do is not going to be ruined by some future actor. Exactly. Yeah. And it's in perpetuity, unlike some of the agricultural um, easements that are 15 years, this easement is in perpetuity. And so it can never, a, a bridge can never be built across um, our stream restoration project. They'll stay in, intact. I was so interested to hear you talk about the developers approached you about this. How did that come to pass? Uh, or do you even know how that came to pass? Well, um, uh, they are interested in their neighborhood being a conservation development, a neighborhood for okay. uh, an environmentally friendly development. They know that. So it's a feature of, of it's the It's a feature, yes. I love that. They know that folks um, want to be close to nature, even if they choose to live in a suburb, you know. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's a feature in that they advertise the stream and access to the stream and the wildlife benefits on their on their website so it's a feature and the neighborhood has been um, so enthusiastic about the restoration so tell us more we have held a couple public meetings and um, worked to educate the neighborhood um, uh, as much as possible about the restoration and they're they're very supportive of it they're going to help us plant trees in march um, and um, I think they see the possibilities of the the wildlife returning to the stream. Uh, birds, uh, birds are always popular. Yep, yep. Um, yeah, and the diversity of the 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 native uh, trees that we'll be putting in, where there once was honeysuckle and privet, we've got some beautiful native species. So. Um, yeah. So cool. Now, when we first started talking this afternoon, we, we, you were talking about your relationship with farmers and the agricultural community. Go into more detail uh, about that. Uh, how do you reach out to the farmers? Do you use the ag extension or do you, how, how, what, what are the mechanisms that you use? The, the first uh, key to our success is our great staff. So we have, um, we have a farmer on staff who is talking to other farmers. And that's important um, because we don't want to get into a situation where we're accusing the agricultural community of polluting the water because those are the people that are feeding our, us and our families. So it's important that we, we approach um, the agricultural community um, not in an accusatory way, but in a way of um, sharing resources and information. So, um, so we work a lot with um, NRCS, Natural Resources um, Conservation Service, Service. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, they've got they've got representatives in every county and um, statewide and federal. So they they are a great. Um, partner of ours and uh, then just the farming community in general as we build credibility um, through our partnerships with the farming community other farmers vouch to us for us to their friends so we have river we have a river friendly farm certification okay um, where we visit farms we check to see how they're practicing um, their land use and uh, if it's river friendly if it meets our established criteria of being river friendly they get certified they get a lot of promotional material um, to help them talk about their river friendly practices and we feature them in magazines like edible highlighting their river friendly practices and so I think they find it a mutually beneficial um, relationship and what we want to do is communicate communicate to consumers that if you have a choice, go for the river-friendly um, produce um, because they're, they're caring for the, the waters that we drink. You know, it's, uh, 
the Cumberland River area is a is a watershed, but it's also a food shed. It I is. mean, we you know all the uh, and and I guess there's been a movement. Well, no question, there's been a movement to identify local sources of, of food material for our population uh, and encourage encourage more sustainable farming in and around Nashville. Uh, you all involved with that? We are. Tell mm-hmm. us more. Yeah, we are. We're, um, we're looking at land use um, now and making sure that some of our agriculturally uh, zoned and and designated areas remain uh, in agricultural use there's an interest you know going back to developers there's an interesting um, model that is emerging of agrihoods where it's the same idea that excuse me it's the same idea that uh, um, people you know want to live close to a farm so there, these um, subdivisions are growing that are clustered homes with, surrounded by working farm. And so there's one, one planned for the city of Franklin. There's another similar one on Pennington Bend. And so we're talking with those landowners about how to, you know, how their working farms can, can be river friendly and how they can get that produce to their consumers. We've lost a lot of of um, really good farmland in Middle Tennessee because of just uh, sprawling development. We have, and uh, another way that we're working is to help farmers be financially successful. So there's a a, a break um, at the five year mark of start of a new farmer where they just can't sustain it any longer. So we're not. At the, we're not working with the very beginning farmers, but we're, we're targeting that five-year mark to provide those farmers with business skills. So we just completed a course, um, that, that a six-week course that gave farmers really solid business skills from, um, from labor, how, how you manage your labor, to how you plan your finances, how you, um, you know, market your, mater- your, your produce. And our goal is to get those new farmers who are using the best practices, often it's organic, it's river friendly, to help them become successful so, we, so that they, their business thrives and we as consumers have that, that better choice. The programs that you're offering are like classroom style type that's offerings? A, that's a six week class. Okay, and where, where would that be held? In- uh, this year it was held uh, at the Nashville Food Project, and uh, we had a couple of snow days, so two of the four classes were online, but we brought in speakers, experts from around the southeast. Um, one teacher was from Vermont, um, and, and these are experts in how to run your small farm business. And I think it's very successful. We'll, we'll repeat it again next year. Uh, coming up in April, I believe, we have a grazing school. So there are grazing practices um, that help farmers manage how their cows move throughout the property so that we can reduce those those water quality impairments. Again, we're talking about sediment so that's cows with unrestricted access to the water trampling the banks and putting more mud and dirt in the water and then nutrients same thing so and then uh, rotating graze grazing opportunities yeah they're in enclosed paddocks so they're moved around the land and no one area gets so um worn down um, bare soil that's going to erode it keeps the cows healthier it keeps the um, the land healthier the um i saw on your website the mention of a product project about the tsu wetland Um, tell us about that and this is probably not well known to most nashvillians that we have this wetland area right here in urban Davidson County. 
Yeah, the TSU Wetland is an incredible place, and we've been taking teachers uh, from Metro Nashville Public Schools out to the wetlands for a couple of years now, um, and we did a remote class for all first graders one year where we took them to the wetlands and talked about the wetlands. All right, so for our audience, give them a, a mind's eye view of where exactly is, is this located? The wetlands? Yeah. It's on the TSU campus. So North Nashville. Yep. Yes, right, North adjacent Nashville. Adjacent to the Cumberland River. Right. 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 Um, and uh, you, I don't think you'd ever know it was there. <laughs> right. I guess I guess the Rhodes Golf Course is adjacent to it. Rhodes I'm, Golf Course at Merritt Road. Okay. Um, yeah. So it would be between the Cumberland River and the TSU uh, football stadium. Okay. There right, you go. Right, right on the right. agricultural right. campus. Actually, right where they're talking about building a baseball stadium. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I hadn't heard that. <laughs> I'm surprised. Um, so it's a so you you were telling us that you were taking school school kids out for for uh, learning experiences mm-hmm, there. Mm-hmm. Tell us more. Uh, well, it's it's a it's an incredible facility that the professors uh, use for their students. Um, TSU has an environmental science master's program that was just accredited. And so they're doing a lot of training out there. And I think there's a desire uh, among that department to, for the general public to know about the wetlands. And um, so we've been taking students out there and um, TSU just received some significant funding to restore the wetlands and enhance the research opportunities there. That's uh, one grant that was through the uh, Department of Forestry and one grant that we received through the Tennessee Department of the Environment. Very good. Not, not to have you restate the obvious, but what is, what is the, 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 the function or the value of having that wetland there? The wetland cleans the water filters the water before it reaches the Cumberland River. So it's receiving a lot of stormwater from North Nashville. And for that reason, it's a very um, flashy wetland. So it will run dry in dry weather and it will be full of water during rain. Other wetlands have a a more um, less extreme kind of level of water than this one, but this is pretty flashy. So it's filtering all of that water so that when it hits uh, the Cumberland River, it's it's pretty Much clean. clean yeah. yeah, it's yeah. pretty clean. Uh, in addition, it's a habitat along the Cumberland River. So um, I don't know if your listeners have seen the Nature Conservancy map of migratory birds coming up from Central America, but they sort of fly north. Um, northeast from Central America, and then they go straight east along the Cumberland River Basin, and then they go north um, along the Appalachian Mountains. So the Cumberland River is really important migratory path for birds, and something like a TSU wetland in the middle of the city is very unique. Um, So it's, you know, The other thing it provides is an opportunity for um, um, students who traditionally aren't in the STEM fields to get really great hands-on research experience. The students coming out, the TSU students coming out of this program are really the most inspiring um, students. STEM enthusiasts you could imagine. They are so committed to, um, you know, er environmentalism in an urban setting and the importance of people who live in cities connecting with nature. Um, They're just, they, they spoke, two students spoke to our board, and I think our board was so wowed by these students and their commitment. Um, it's, it's really exciting. And, um, you know, I thought of the environmental value, but I never thought of this wetland as such an important training ground for these TSU students. 
until I, I heard these young women speak and I thought, oh my gosh, this is the, these are the environmental leaders that we really need. Well, TSU, of course, is a historical black college. And I, I'm, do I assume correctly that we're speaking of African-American uh, young people being trained? Yeah, yeah, yeah two and, young and, women. And that's, one. that's the exciting part of it. Yeah, Certainly. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, there is a dearth of um, African-American environmental leaders in the country. And if, gosh, coming out of TSU, you could imagine just um, such uh, su- such an amazing um, future leaders. That's so cool to hear. Yeah. Um, I could remember many years ago uh, talking with kids at the Bethlehem Center in downtown mm-hmm. Nashville about career opportunities. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I was in state parks and trying to en- encourage these black folks to come and be a park ranger. And uh, didn't get many takers at the time, unfortunately. But we do now have some wonderful black uh, rangers. Uh, Jessica Gossett, I don't know if you've heard my interview with Jessica. Oh, She's yeah. now the superintendent out at uh, T.O. Fuller Park in in Memphis, and um, oh, just a terrific uh, yeah. young young person with with an uh, anthropology background, which is oh, nice. kind of that's interesting that's too. Yeah. All right, so we're, we've been talking about all the range of things, and it's such a uh, dynamic range of things that you all are doing. I wanted to touch too on on the mine reclamation aspect. Um, I know that you all are involved with reclamation of strip mines up in in the. Upper Cumberland and and, and, uh, into Kentucky. Tell us about what's going on there. We are working on the uh, Nature Conservancy's land called the Cumberland Forest. It it borders Kentucky, uh, Virginia, and Tennessee in in that corner of the state. And um, it's previously mined land, so uh, when the mine companies left, they covered their mines with sort of rubble and dirt, and um, in a in a in a way that trees can't grow. The land is too compacted. The soil is poor. So you have sort of vast expanses of very stunted invasive species up there. The invasive species is autumn olive. Um, And so you've got vast expanses of autumn olive and also more erosion and, um, you know, drainage into these really high quality streams up there. You've got this kind of mine refuse flowing into them. So uh, with um, the part in partnership of TNC, T- Tennessee Nature Conservancy, who's um, you know uh, hosting our project, we are remediating the soil and planting trees on this land, re- removing the invasives, remediating the soil and planting trees on the land. So um, the soil has been the invasives have been removed. The soil has been remediated, and next week we're planting uh, 50 acres. And um, the, it's 700 tree seedlings per acre. So we've got some amazing drone footage um, of the before. And we're going to get, next week, we'll get some good footage of during while we were up there planting. Uh, and um, I, I'm excited to see the after photos. What are you planting? Or is it a mix of things? It's a mix. Okay. Yeah, it's yeah. a it's a good healthy mix of pines and hardwoods, and we're getting you know some fruit trees in there for the animals, and yeah. Fantastic. And and which county in, is it in Tennessee? Campbell, Campbell mm-hmm. County. Campbell County. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, there were definitely mines mines mm-hmm. up in there. Um, mm-hmm. um, so interesting that and. Uh, that you're, you know, when I thought about your organization early, I was thinking, well, you all were in Davidson County, and but you're really reaching out into the rural areas. We are, we are, we um, will we'll be. We work with Franklin. We'll be at the Franklin Arbor Day Festival if people want to visit us there. We'll be at Gallatin Square Fest, um, and yeah, we're, we're going to do a cleanup at Cheatham Lake. Um, soon. So there are opportunities for folks all over the basin to get involved. Tell us um, about how uh, people can learn more about your organization and, and uh, plug in. 
There's our website and um, our events calendar on the website. Uh, we, if people are in Davidson County and they'd like to participate in No Mo Month, we're still um, we're still um, open for registration. And everybody who participates gets a sign for their yard. Oh, okay. That says good, good. that that they're they're actually not lazy. They are participating in No Mo <laughs> Month. So, <laughs> and we've worked with uh, the city to make sure that there are no zoning complaints. So there may be H- for folks who live in HOAs, they'll have to negotiate that with their HOA, but. Um, other than that, uh, we think. That so, what are the benefits of No Mo Month? No Mo Month. Well, there's the reduction in emissions. So from gas um, from gas engines going on. Gas off, right? engines right. are the worst, um, and uh, the pollinators can uh, the 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 flowers that feed the pollinators will have a chance to bloom and establish. Um, and the roots of the plants can get a little deeper and make the soil a little more porous. And uh, I think that the greater benefit is that we start to adjust our eye to not expect a perfectly manicured lawn. And so that as we adjust our eyes to welcome in nature a little more, to have a stream buffer so we're not mowing to the top of bank, or to have a more of a meadow look to our yards. If we can adjust our eyes and our expectations of what a healthy environment looks like, we'll have cleaner water. Well, that's well stated. Thank you for that. The um, you know, listeners to this program will, will know of our interest in, in native plants and native grasses and, and uh, conversion of any lawn area that you possibly can into some sort of native habitat, mm-hmm. right? Well, Michaela, Michaela, pardon me, Mikhail, it's been great to have you here as a guest. I, I appreciate you joining us today. Thank you. Best Thanks of luck with me. your various programs. Thank you.